Welcome to Cornerstone. If this is your first time with us, my name is Tim Ackley. I'm one of the pastors at our church. We're a multi-siting church. So we've got uh, services Saturday evening, Sunday morning, two campuses, a lot going on, pretty exciting. And uh, tonight's even a little bit more exciting because we've got an art exhibit after this. And uh, if you've not, if some of you took a peek down there, that's why you came late to worship. We've forgiven you for that, but uh, it's pretty exciting. I don't blame you. I'll probably still be down there if I could. It is, it is pretty cool. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could open up to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. And we're going to read a little bit. I'm not going to read the first several verses because, I mean, if I were really wanting to impress you, I would lower my voice and speak fast and pronounce all of these words for you, which I really don't know how to pronounce. I mean, just glance through there. I mean, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10. You're glancing through verses 1 through 27. Starts with Nehemiah. 83 more men. You got names on here. I don't know how to pronounce. I mean, you got one dude named Bunny. Moms, don't name your sons Bunny. I mean, can you imagine if he grew up to be a a UFC fighter? Welcome to the octagon, Bunny. He's going to get destroyed. I can't pronounce these names. So we're going to pick it up in verse 28. And if you would stand with me, we're going to read a few verses, um, only actually two. So let's stand. And if you have your Bibles with, with you, you can follow along with me. And here's what it says. The rest of the people, the priests... The Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. You may be seated. We're going to talk about recommitment tonight. We're going to talk about recommitting our lives today. We're going to, we're going to focus down into how do you take lives that are coming face to face with the glory of God, and the mercy of God. How do you take your heart and then how do you bring it by the grace of God back to recommitment to God? So we're going to talk about that today, but I want to start by telling you about William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who was once asked what his secret was to his incredible ministry. Here's what he said, quote, God has had all that there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth that there was. All right, so here we go. Let's get our minds in gear. Remember, you don't come to church. You don't slip your mind in neutral. That's bad. That's not good. Preachers can slip in heresy really, really easily. You want to get your mind in gear. You want to interact. You want to have one hand in the Word of God and one hand, if you're taking notes on your pen or pencil, you want to write down notes or things that are going to really put a marker in your soul today. But here's all of a sudden what we're doing. We're going to 
arrest our souls right at the beginning. And we're going to say, are we ready to give God all of who we are? Now, don't be too quick to nod your head, yes. Can you say with William Booth, I made up my mind that God should have all of me that there was. See, God wants all of us. He wants all of who we are. And most of us can admit that we really haven't quite given all of who we are to God. We really like to keep some things in reserve. Do you know what God is doing to those pockets of reserve? Now listen, let's see if God's speaking right to you for a moment. Because you likely have some of those pockets. Maybe it's money. God, you can have pretty much most of my life, but I'm going to run my checkbook. Or maybe it's a gift and a talent that you have set aside and you don't want to pick it back up. God, you can have my money, you can have everything in my life, but you can't have that gift. I'm not going to do it. Or, you know, I give so much time to the office. I work hard all week. Lord, the weekends are mine to do what I want. We all have these pockets where we hold in reserve from God. You've got them, I've got them. And right now I think what God wants to do, if I, if I understand the text, He wants to take the Holy Spirit, He wants to, with the Holy Spirit, zero in on those pockets and zip them open a little bit. He's going to unzip you today. And He's going to show you graciously and excitedly what it could be like for you if you gave Him those reserves. And let Him be the Lord of all and have all of you. You see, the reconstruction of the wall, we're in Nehemiah, the reconstruction of the wall, it's done. The wall's built. But while the wall was reconstructed, the people were not yet recommitted. You see, it's not that great to have a wonderful wall. It wasn't that impressive anyways. It's only nine feet wide. That's why Tobias said if even a fox stood up on it, it would crumble. But it was a wall and it kept them safe. It, it marked them as being God's people and it kept the wrong people out. And the walls were repaired and it let the right people in. So the wall is done, the gates are repaired, but the people... Listen, Nehemiah said there's not a lot of people in Jerusalem. The houses are in ruin. That means there's not families in God's city. And God wants to bring families into his city. He wants people to recommit. Well, people were, were kind of having a hard time recommitting. It's a little safer to live outside of the city. We've, we're comfortable. We've got our farms. We've got our farmland. We've got our lives that we're used to and they become normal. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, we've got to be the people of God. You've got to come into the city and we worship our God. And so there's spiritual leaders are leading them through a corporate time of recommitment. It's a prayer in four directions. And if you've been here with us, um, that's great. If you haven't, I'm going to sum it up in, in four points. The fourth one is our sermon today. First, they led them to look up. You look up and you see the wonder of God, the beauty of God, the incredible splendor of God. You exalt Him and you adore Him above all else. You recognize His character and His attributes. So listen, here's what it's like for us. You go down deep in prayer. If you're going to be a praying people, well, Nehemiah is instructing us, start looking up. 
Because when you look up, it works like a teeter-totter. You begin to reduce yourself in humility. It's hard to look prideful at yourself when you're seeing the magnificence of God. Well, if you want to kill your pride, you want to bring humility into your heart by the grace of God, then you exalt God. You lift Him up. You look up. And then they look back. They look back at their history. Listen, their history is full of unfaithfulness. They were a wandering people. They were stuck in the desert for 40 years because they were grumbling, because they did not trust God. And they looked back, and even though they saw all of the landscape of ruin in their history, still they could see the fingerprints of God's mercy. God's grace has been all through the history of the Jews. And then the Levites, their leaders... Their pastors move them from looking up to looking back. Then they move into looking in. And they begin to look in to see their own unfaithfulness. And yet even with their unfaithfulness, they take responsibility of it. They're not blaming anybody else. Lord, it's my choice. I've sinned because it's my choice. And yet even in the midst of that, God is proclaiming his mercy. My mercies are new every single morning. Do you know that, friends? Well, let's just take a quick tour of your week. You don't need to raise your hand, just think. Remember, your mind is in gear. How many of you had a week where you wish that you could dial it back and have a do-over? Maybe there was something you did or said or thought or looked at or misspent your money on that you wish if you could just go back and do it again, you would do it differently. And God's been bringing guilt. Guilt is his gracious exercise to bring you back to repentance. When you feel guilty, don't kill it. Don't try to turn down the dial. Listen to God. Hear what he's saying and move in his grace back to repentance. If you could do a do-over, we probably all take it, even this week. So they're looking in and they're seeing that, yeah, we've dropped the ball. I've been unfaithful. I've I've sinned, but yet God's mercy and the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the penalty of my sin. And though I did nothing to deserve it, though I did nothing to earn it, God gave me his righteousness. Jesus Christ became sin for me. He gave me his righteousness. It's the great exchange. So they've looked up and they've exalted God. They looked back and seen his merciful fingerprints in their history. They're looking in and they can see despite their failures, God will never leave them nor forsake them. He is a good God. And it moves them in confidence to the fourth direction of prayer, the one we're looking at today. It's this, look ahead. We've looked up, we looked back, we've looked in, and now we're looking ahead. And we, t- we started two weeks ago in verse 38. If you've got your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 38. You can follow along with me. Here's what it says. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now you're looking at that verse, right? If you were to be able to read Hebrew, which I cannot do, I have a lot of tools that could do it for me. But if you could read Hebrew and you had the original manuscripts in front of you, the original letters, you would not see the word covenant in it. And that's important. You'll see it in a minute. It's not in the original. It's a legal document. They sealed it. Well, what we call, they notarized it. They signed it. 
84 leaders of the people of God, they, those 84 leaders, listen, they represented all of the people gathered, mentioned in verse 28 of chapter 10. And here we are, chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, so in case you missed that, you got 84 people sign this document. They legalize it. They represent what we're about to read. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants. Listen, in today's vocabulary, that's the elders. That's the deacons. That's the pastors. That's all of you who really are the bought and purchased people of God. They care for one another. Gatekeepers accountable to one another. It's the worship band. It's the temple servants. Those people that are greeting. And those people that set out the food for the coffee house. Listen, this is all of the church. All who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters. All who have knowledge and understanding. What's that mean, all who have knowledge? It means that no one's tricked into taking this reaffirmation. No one's tricked and deceived into recommitting. They all knew what they were doing. They're purposefully, intentionally recommitting their lives to God. They all had understanding. That simply means this. There's no one so young that they can't comprehend what they're doing. They're all old enough to get it. And then we get this strange phrase, verse 29. They all agreed, here it is, to enter into a curse and an oath. Well, to give you an idea of what this meant, let me tell you about an ancient Hittite military oath. So you've got some guy who wants to join the Hittite army. Here's what they used to do. They would bring that man into a community of people and they would bring along with that man three articles. Here's the three articles. Women's clothing. I know you're thinking I'm making this up. I'm not. Women's clothing, a spindle, and an arrow. Now you're going to get this in a minute. You see, they symbolize what would befall this man should he break his oath to the army and desert. Here's what they would do. They would take the arrow, they would break it. You will be weaponless. They would take the clothing and they would hold it up before him and say, you're going to be given the work and the position and the station of a woman. You're going to have the spindle and you'll do the work of a woman. If you desert this army, here's what will befall you. It's an oath with a curse. And you see this biblically. You see this in Abraham. You remember when Abraham wanted to get a daughter or a, a woman for his son Isaac to marry? Abraham calls his trusted servant. Here's what he says to him. He said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. It's his trusted servant. Now listen, this is going to freak a few of you out. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. This is a curse and an oath. It's strange to us. Because what he had his servant do, slip your hand under my thigh, I'm going to just tell you straight, put it near my genitals, and it means this, that if you don't honor your word, see, some of you just woke right up. 
See, I just got to use that genitals word, and some of you are right back in. I can even name those of you who just popped your heads right back up. Some of you are just sick people. Here it is. If you do not honor my word, he's saying, if you do not fulfill this task, then the children born to my line are going to avenge your unfaithfulness. That's a curse with an oath. That's how they used to do it. We're not doing it today. I guarantee that. But to enter an oath was not to be done lightly. There is danger to make rash vows and promises to God. Let me tell you what Charles Spurgeon once said about making vows and rules. Here's what he said. I have found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. Isn't that amazing? When the spiritual life is sound, it produces prayer at the right time. And humiliation of soul and sacred joy spring forth spontaneously apart from rules and vows. What he's saying is this. When I make vows, when I make rules to myself, in my power, I determine in my strength, in my flesh, that I'm not going to do something or I am going to do something. What he says is sin abounds in my life. But when the Spirit of God moves my recommitment, when the Spirit of God moves my determination, then it springs forth humiliation of soul and sacred joy. Now, how many of us, and I want to see your hands on this one, how many of us have taken a vow, made an oath, or New Year's resolution, and it sputtered out pretty quickly? How many of you kept one and it's still going today? Okay. The majority, they sputter out. Some of you, by the grace of God, are enabled to make that transformation into life character. Oaths run the risk of trying to earn God's favor and God's grace. And this is precisely the power. Now listen, you've got to get this. This is actually the fulcrum of the entire sermon. So you're ready, you've got to pay attention, get your mind in gear, you've got to get this. You've got to look up and see in prayer that God is powerfully faithful, He is perfect, and He is holy. You've got that? That's the upward look. And then you look back and you see your inability to remain faithful to God. Now, I think I'm preaching to the choir. I think we all know you just can't, in your own flesh, remain faithful to God. Nobody's ever been able to do it but Jesus Christ. You look back, you see that inability, and yet underneath it and undergirding it and upholding you is this mercy, which is new every day. And it was never by our own goodness that God loved us. Listen, God never loved you because you earned it. Never, not once. He didn't look down on the planet and six and a half billion people and see you or me and see us really, really working hard to get his favor and say, you know what, I'm going to put my love on you. That just never happened, and it can't. And then you look in and you see that, yeah, we continue to fail and God continues to be righteous, yet he's not lowered his standards. He still expects us to live lives that are pleasing to him. What he did was Jesus substituted for us on the cross. We couldn't do it. So Jesus did it for us. 
He sent His Son to die for us, to take away the penalty of our sin, to die in our place, and He made a covenant with us. Listen, this is a covenant that's different than the old covenant. It's a covenant far better, more superior to the old covenant. This covenant is in Christ. The other one was in works. That covenant bound you into your works. This covenant binds you into the perfect law of liberty in Jesus Christ. And so we look ahead now, Christian. We look ahead and we live by that grace. We trust in the forgiveness of Christ and we're confident of God's favor for us because of what Christ did. Now, isn't that comforting to you? That God's favor is on you because what Jesus did, not what we've done. Because we will always fail. And it produces in us You ready? It produces in us an inward desire and a power to walk faithfully with God, to love His Word, to hate and overcome sin, and to serve Him, William Booth, with all that we are. Friends, the people of Nehemiah, you you really need to get this. They're not making a new covenant. That's why I told you the word covenant is not in here. They're not making a new covenant. There's only a couple times in all of Scripture that a human being made a covenant with God. It's God makes a covenant with us. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant through Abraham. He made a covenant with the people of Israel. They're not making a new covenant. They're affirming, they're re-entering into the covenant that God has already made. See, they're not trying to earn God's favor. They're responding to His favor that He has freely given. They're renewing His covenant. They're recommitting to His covenant, not trying to get God to love them, but responding to the love that God has greatly given to them. Listen, that's the difference between legalism and grace. I'm going to tell you, some of you were brought up in legalism. It's probably one of the top things I deal with as a pastor. How do you bring the truth of grace to a mind that is steeped in legalism? Here's what legalism is. It's the belief that you've got to obey God in order to get him to love you. And you might, you might say in your mind, I know that's not true, but you might live out that falsehood. If I do this, then God will help me and bless me. Lord, I'm in trouble. And if you get me out of this mess, I promise to go to Zimbabwe and be a missionary. I mean, that's how it works. And you can see a little bit of a trace with it. I just heard somebody tell me this just last week. You know what? I started out the door and remembered I didn't have time to spend in his word. And I knew my day was going to go bad. So I jumped back in and had three minutes. Listen, that's legalism. I've got to do this in in order for God to love me, in order for God to bless me. All the blessings that God has for us, He already accomplished it in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you have His blessings. Can you forfeit them? Well, let's get to that next. Grace, here's the difference, legalism and grace. Grace is the reality that God loves us. He forgives us on the basis of what His Son Jesus did for us. And He gives you a new heart and it has new desires so that you can live in a new way that's pleasing to Him. You see, grace is different from legalism. Legalism is all of the power, all of the power to do right. 
You have to muster up the ability to do it. Once you get walking right, God will bless you. Grace is all of the power to live right. Has already been dispensed from the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you're in Christ, He lives in you. He's the vine and you're the branches. And the Spirit of God is the sap that goes through Christ into the branches and produces fruit in His people. But I really want you to listen carefully. I'm doing a little bit of corrective tonight because this is where a lot of Christians are taught wrongly. Are you listening? God loves you. And because of the work of Christ, He accepts you fully. He's never condemning you. There is no longer any condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. One of my dear friends in this church just said to me recently, I feel condemned by God. I'm saddled with guilt. And I said to him from Romans 8, 1, you don't have any more guilt. Not if you're in Christ. You got to speak that truth to your mind. That's grace. God loves you because of Jesus. And because he loves you, he has given his spirit to live in you so that you will be able to live in a way that pleases him. You ready? Obedient to his commands. You see the difference? Legalism is you've got to live in a way that's obedient to the commands of God. And you've got to find a way to do it in your own power. And when you get doing it, God will help. Grace is this. You never could live in a way that was pleasing to God. So Jesus died on your behalf. You became righteous as Him. The Spirit of God came through your faith to live in your heart. And now He gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. His power is making you obedient. For this I toil, Paul said, struggling with what? All His energy, all God's energy. He's struggling, He is toiling, but He's doing it with the energy that powerfully works within me, the energy of God Himself. You see, the covenant of grace, it doesn't let us shirk from our duty to God. In fact, listen, if you want to know something, the covenant of grace increases the, the duty that we have to obey God. Because Jesus now yokes with us, Matthew 10, 29. He yokes with us. In other words, that's a cattle yoke. He comes under one side, you're under the other. And now his power pulls the load. His energy gives you new desires. His strength helps you live in a way that's pleasing with him. So what is our duty? What is our duty? Micah 6, 8. It's to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, this is the covenant of grace. God the Spirit lives inside of us because we're in Christ and He's helping us to love Him and love each other. That's it. It'd be so easy to get on a tangent. Why can you get tattoos? Why can you eat bacon? Why can you eat, I can't believe I'm saying this, sushi? Which I think is disgusting. 
Because that ceremonial law, the civil law, it's ended in Christ. He fulfilled it. He is now have a, we now have a covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace is this. We are to love God with all of our hearts, with our, with our neighbor. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Spirit of God Himself lives within us to help us do it. See, grace makes right living possible and holiness springs from the fountain of grace. All right, so why did I say all that? It's a good thing to recommit ourselves to God, listen, and pray for the grace of God to fulfill it. And every day we should commit to God. You should, before your feet hit the floor, sit on the edge of your bed and learn the the discipline of recommitment. Say, God, you have numbered my days, my works you've created, Ephesians 2.10. I am going to walk in the day that you have planned before the creation of this world. Let me walk in it to your glory, not to my vain glory, but to your fame and your reputation. And then you get up and then you begin living. So we recommit every day, we plead for His strength to live for His glory. Every week, we should come to worship together. Why do we gather to worship? It's, why do we sing God's praise with our fellow believers? Why do we reaffirm our faith? We recommit to leave here and go back to the mission field as faithful servants walking in God's Word. So you recommit daily, you recommit weekly at worship. That's why you don't forsake the assembling together of the righteous. You come here as often as you physically can. You worship together and you recommit to walk into the mission field faithfully. Every month, every month as we take communion, we remember the death of Jesus. We recommit to the covenant of grace in the powerful blood of Christ who made us alive in Him and supplies all the power we need to do all He's ever going to ask us to do. Every summer we have a baptism and we reaffirm the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We reaffirm, listen, this is what baptism is. Your old sin-enslaved self is dead And it's been buried. None of those old clothes fit on the new man. And the new man can't go back to the old clothes in the wardrobe. That old self is dead, buried. You came up out of that water, not saved. It represents your salvation. You came up out of the blood of Christ in a new person with a new heart, with the Spirit of God inside of you. And we recommit. Listen, when we do baptism and you're watching, you're outside the pool, We instruct you, there's something you are to do. You are to remember. You are to recommit to following Christ because of all of what He has done for you. And throughout the year, we all have watershed moments where God's grace pulls our hearts into a deeper love and obedience and we recommit to live for His glory. Friends, when is the last time you recommitted yourself by the grace of God to walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. You see, the Jews realized God's great love and mercy for them, and they bound themselves, chapter 10, they bound themselves to walk faithfully with Him. And their vows turned into prayers of faith. It's the so help me God part of our wedding vows. That's grace, that's faith. Lord, so help me keep my vows 
the vows turned into prayers of faith, part of the recommitting ourselves to God. So let's look at the first recommitment. I'm going to give you three. I'm only going to give you one today. And the next time we'll look at the other two. But as we do, let me point out something you might miss. Now listen, this is so important. Don't get ahead of me. You ready? You got to look at me for a moment. When we were looking up in chapter 9, the pronoun was you. You God. You God. You Lord. You Elohim. When, you were, when we were looking back, it was they. When we were looking in, it was us. Now listen. As we look ahead, it is we. And that says something. Here it is. It says you can't keep your recommitments in a solitary life. You cannot do it and you will fail. You try to live as a solitary Christian, friends, you will fail utterly. It is absolutely contrary to both the Old and the New Testament. You take a recommitment, you bring people around you. Godly people whom you can trust and they will pray for you and they will hold up your arms and they will strengthen you when you're weak. Together we serve, together we worship, together we encourage one another on. And all of these recommitments were we, Together, encouragement, accountability, community. Here's the first one. Recommitment number one. By God's grace, we will make the word of God our practice. We will make the word of God our practice. The spirit of God. You remember the gates? I, I threw a quick tour of it two weeks ago. I won't take you all back around, but let me start you at the valley gate briefly. The valley gates, the gates of tri- the gate of trials. It squeezes our hearts. It's heat. It's difficulty. It's pain. We don't like it. When you make it past the valley gate, you never want to get back to it, yet you love what it does in your life. You get from the valley gate, you get to the dung gate, and the dung gate is where all of those impurities at the valley gate squeezed to the surface, all of that junk that's displeasing to God, you confess it through the dung gate. You throw it to the mercies of God and He takes it and He buries it into the valley of Hinnom and burns it. He will not bring it back to you. He tells you, drop the bar, lock the gate when you go back into the city. Don't bring that junk back with you. You're released from the charges. But then the Spirit of God takes people who have gotten the junk out of their heart that the valley gate showed, he takes them right straight to the fountain gate. See, the fountain gate is the gate of the Spirit of God. And if you're going to go from the fountain gate, it's where the Spirit of God fills you. And what he's going to fill you with, listen, you've got to know this, what he's going to fill you with, friends and Christian brothers and sisters, is going to be the Word of God. It's where they drew the water from the pool of Siloam as it ran into the city. Water for cleansing was a symbol of the Spirit of God. Water for drinking and washing was a symbol of God's Word. And so they read the scriptures at the water gate, chapter 8. Revival came at that gate, chapter 9. They committed to His Word, chapter 10. And the Word of God is the standard of His holiness. And here's what it says in 2 Timothy. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You ever heard of St. Augustine? St. Augustine was hardly a saint growing up. He was a wild, rebellious, defiant boy. And he was, by his own admission, listen, this is St. Augustine's words, a prolific sinner. But one afternoon, he was sitting in a garden, and he heard the voice of a child on the other side of the wall. It was a wall-enclosed garden. On the other side of the wall, he heard a little child say this, Take up and read. And with sudden conviction, Augustine picked up his Bible that he had not picked up in the longest of time, and he read the book of Romans, and and I'm quoting you, these are his own words, instantly, as if before a peaceful light streaming into my heart, dark shadows of doubt fled. This man of unconquerable will was, was conquered by words from a book I had once dismissed as a mere fable. So that's the power of the living and active word of God. And the people of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's day, they know this. So here's their recommitment number one. They commit to live by God's word. They commit to put God's word into practice. Here's what it says in verse 28, verse 29. Walk in God's law that was given by Moses, a servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our, our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Listen, the, the word of God is the highest authority. And it's the test. Listen, any other form of authority is tested through the word of God. If it differs from the word of God, then it should not be an authority in your life. And all the counsel from your friends. Listen, you've got friends, I've got friends, and they're going to bring advice into your life. They're going to counsel you. They're going to give you their opinions. And that counsel must screen through the Word of God. All the opinions of our culture, all the insight we glean through our own experiences. Listen, you can learn something from experience that's contradictory to the Word of God. My neighbor, when the towers fell in 2011 said to me, I now know God is not good. His experience informed his, per, his perspective, and his perspective was wrong. God is always good. And the devil knows, the devil knows if he is to have success against the church, he's got to attack the Bible, and he is doing that inside the church as well as outside of it. He was trying to undermine God's word the first time we see the devil in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden. And he's as successful now as he was then. You ever been to a church where there's not a lot of scripture at all, it's storytelling sermons? They pour from church pulpits like sewage. The current focus on worship music, dwarfing sermons, more worship, less preaching, tickle your ears, have as their aim to make us feel good about ourselves. You want the euphoric experience of worship rather than to know God. Listen, I'm going to give you such a brief little saying. You can pound it into your mind as an anchor. You ready? Sermonettes produce Christianettes. 
Sermonettes produce Christianettes. If you want to go to a church where they empty the pulpit of the powerful living word of God, you can expect your life to follow. And there's a lot of Christians who proudly exclaim that they love Jesus, but they don't love the Bible. I hear this. Oh, I don't love the Bible. I love Jesus. Loving the Bible is bibliolatry. It's idolatry of the Bible. Listen, let me tell you something. You cannot love Jesus without loving and guarding and observing God's word. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And a love for God's word, which is what David said, sweeter than honey, it's going to increase your love for Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You're going to live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. The two of them are seamless. Loving Christ produces a growing love for his word, which when kept and guarded, increases your love for Christ. You ever seen this picture on the screen? What do you see, an old lady or a young lady? Stare at it long enough and you'll see both. There are two perspectives of the same truth. You've got to love the Word of God. You've got to pour yourself into the Word of God. And as you do, that will increase your love for Jesus Christ. And as your love for Jesus Christ increases, it's going to pour you, move you back into the Word of God. Now, not one of you listened to anything I just said. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm working with Pastor Matthew on the power of a good sermon PowerPoint slide, which he's the king of. And I told them, don't use anything that's going to grab their attention. I just violated my own rule. We should love the scriptures like King David. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Listen, if the people of God, if, I, if we, Christians, if we are going to love Jesus and serve Jesus, then the word of God must be the foundation of our lives. Look what they said. They will observe Look what it says, verse 29. We will observe the scriptures. But that means something more than what we mean by it in the English. The word observe in the Hebrew means to watch carefully over something, to guard it with your life. See, they're committing, they're saying, they're recommitting to the word of God. They're saying, we're going to watch it carefully. We're going to set a guard because this will be the foremost attack of our enemies. We're seeing that same attack in our nation and in our family. I, now recently, I went to our youth group, and it's no different now than it always was when I was a youth pastor for 13 years. You now you gather the teens together for a discussion after the sermon, and you ask a provocative question. We used to do it all the time. And just watch opinion after perspective after opinion come in that's totally devoid, untethered from the Word of God. It made me go home again and renew. I've got to teach my children the Word of God. Denise and I have got to bring our children up in the Word of God and nurture them in the instruction of the Word of God. We are raising an entire generation of teens that don't know the Word of God and as they think and as they live and as they decide on issues, it's not even in the Word of God. 
So I have personally determined that I'm going to preach and teach and counsel nothing, nothing but the Word of God. And the Word of God, friends, has the power to rebuild broken lives. You can't have a revived church. You can't have a powerful ministry. You're not going to see a city transformed apart from the Word of God. So let me ask, as we conclude our look at the first commitment, recommitment of Nehemiah 10, let me ask you this, ready? Now listen, just brazen your soul and listen to the question. Are you ready to commit yourself to walking by God's word? Now listen, not in your own flesh, for you will surely fail as quickly as I will. Not thinking that if you read the word of God, God's going to love you more. But by grace, I am going to recommit myself to establish my life on the sure foundation of his word. If you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. I've experienced it and I've watched it with men and women who have grounded their life on the word of God. Untold blessings will not only pour into your heart, they will pour out of your life to other people. And it happens when you build your life on the Word of God. You know, 1722 was an 18-year-old Jonathan Edwards who found himself, in my worst horror, pastoring a church that was going through a terrible split. And in that tumultuous time, Edwards started something, took him a year to complete, he needed a place to stand. He needed a compass to guide him. He began to pen some guidelines that later became resolutions. And every day he read through them. Started with one, August 17th, 1723, finished them all, all 70 of them. He didn't read them every day, he read them every week. And here's what he wrote, here's the heading. You can get on the internet and see him. 70 resolutions by Jonathan Edwards. You'll find them. Here's the heading in his journal. You ready? Here's what it says. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions, these recommitments, so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. 70 of them. Took him over a year to complete him. Every week he reviewed him. And every day he pleaded for God's grace to live him. Can I ask you a personal question? Please be honest. Do you need to recommit yourself to God? If you do, plead His grace. Commit with all your strength and the power of God that so mightily works within you, but bring yourself, all of you, to God and say, you have me. And watch what he might do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?